I appreciate Kent's prayer this morning. He specifically said something that I always try to do, and he said he hopes that it will be simple. And I think maybe I've become the, the master of stating the obvious. Uh, God's truths are obvious a lot of times, and sometimes we just need to be reminded. And I think that's what moderation is going to be for us this morning. It's going to be a good reminder of what our influence means and how we need to look at the world. Maybe another way to say it is, maybe sometimes I call it the Chicken Express uh, principle. I don't think Matthew can go to Chicken Express without remembering a point I made in a lesson about money a long, long time ago. That when you spend your money, see if it's going where you really want it to go. And my point in that is not to to knock or to plug Chicken Express or anybody else, but sometimes an example that sticks in your mind helps that principle keep coming around. Maybe at times it wouldn't otherwise do that. And there may be some of those this morning. As always, my goal is never to point out at any individual. These are general truths that I've seen in my own life, my family's life, I've observed among all of us. And hopefully it'll be a good reminder for all of us that we can live a moderate life. Philippians 4, verse 5, in the King James Version, says it this way, Let your moderation be known unto all men, or all men. The Lord is at hand. I'm going to look at a couple of other versions. The New King James says, Let your gentleness be known to all men. And the ESV says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That's the idea I want to talk about this morning. Moderation, gentleness reasonableness. We live in a world that's not reasonable in lots and lots of ways, and it's very easy. I've watched it lots of times among good-hearted people that reasonableness goes out the window, and the Bible wants us to have an influence. They want us to have a reputation of being reasonable, of being moderate, of being gentle. Here's the definition I want to work work off of. The avoidance of excess or extremes, especially in our behavior and our opinions. A second definition is self-control. And a lot of times we think about self-control as avoiding sinful activity, and and that's true, but the focus I want to have this morning is self-control in the sense of not letting ourselves go off on far extremes on the way we live our life. Most of the things I talk about aren't going to be sinful in and of themselves. But I think we all know what an excessive person looks like. Everything is either all or nothing. Or if they buy a boat, they don't buy just a boat. They buy the best boat there is, and they go whole hog into some kind of hobby or activity. That's the type of reasonableness and excess that we're going to talk about today. And that's what's really important for each of us. We've all got things that we like to do. We've all got our pet peeves. We all have our hobby horses. We all have the things that we do on a regular basis. And the admonition I want to get from this morning is that be careful that we don't let those things go to extremes. Because the point I want to make when it's all said and done, our influence on other people is affected in a large manner by the way we live our life. And when we are an extreme sort of person, our godly influence is weakened. And I want our influence to be as strong as it can. This is going to fall in uh, 
a different category. And I, I, I like to make this point periodically. We like black and white, especially when we're young. We like thou shalt and thou shalt not. There's a reason why that was in the Old Testament. Because as people needed a schoolmaster, a tutor to bring them to the New Testament, they needed black and white. What's exactly right and exactly wrong? And there's a lot of good in that. You know, things like Titus' lesson a few weeks ago, go ye means go me. There was no question that we should all be evangelistic and we need to go teach others about the gospel. We've heard about the authenticity of the Bible. It's facts. Things we can look at. Facts aren't something that you really have to, to make a judgment about. Facts are facts. Hugh talked a few weeks ago about fornication. There's no question in our minds what was right and what was wrong. Those are very concrete facts, concepts that the Bible points out. And there are a lot of very concrete things in the Bible. On the other side, there are what I call gray areas or maybe abstract principles. Things that there's not a specific command to do this or to do that. A few examples of that. A few, few weeks ago, we heard about going the extra mile. You know, that didn't literally mean put your walking shoes on and walk another mile. It really was talking about excellence, that we need to go above and beyond in our service to God and our fellow man. Now, there's not a lot of specifics in what that means. You have to learn what that means over time. Craig talked about the grass being greener on the other side of the fence. He wasn't talking about us all going out and grazing, right? He was trying to get us to realize that contentment was very important. And we learned concepts about that. Opinions, that was a very abstract principle but it was really talking about humility that we can't think more highly of ourselves than we should think and so this is going to fall in this second category this morning it's going to be abstract principles what does it mean to be moderate what does it mean to be reasonable i think we all know what it is when we see it but i want to use some biblical concepts some bible verses biblical principles to help us examine the way we think, the things that we hear coming out of our mouth, maybe the things that our family hears coming out of our mouth, the, the things that we buy, the things that we engage in, is that moderate? And I can't necessarily determine it for you. The world can't determine it for you, but you've got to be able to examine yourselves against a good measuring stick to see if it's reasonable the way that you're living your life. And hopefully when we get through this morning, you'll be able to do that. You know, here are some common areas. And what I find out, uh, have observed, I guess, is a lot of people like to hear about reasonables because they like to go, boy, they really are excessive over there. <laughs> or boy, they're a glutton. They eat too much all the time, right? Oh, I'll go the other side. Oh, they're just a health nut. <laughs> And we both have said, we've all probably said both of those things. And, and we understand that both of those extremes can get carried away. And that there's a happy medium somewhere in the middle that's a good place to be. Because what happens when our whole world revolves around eating food? Or our whole world revolves around healthy food and that's all we talk about and all we ever do is our influence is affected. Because they know, people know that as soon as they see me, what's going to be the first thing out of my mouth? Not a good Christian influence, but about my health food or about how good something is to eat. It can be our clothes. You know, we know the extreme of, I can come here looking like a slob on Sunday morning. Or, 
I can get wrapped up in making sure I've got some kind of designer clothes on and spend thousands and thousands of dollars on my clothes. And both of those extremes can be bad, but there's a happy medium. There are some people that work just enough not to get fired, right? But then there's other people that work all day long and they go home and that's all they think about and they wake up in the night and that's all they think about and they get up in the morning and that's all they think about. Two extremes. And there's a nice happy medium on all of these things. And hopefully as we go through, that's what the concepts, the principles I want to teach this morning is how can you observe that in yourself, maybe those that are close to you, and how can you use those principles to live a moderate, reasonable life? A couple of things that moderation is not. Sometimes defining what it's not also helps you get a picture. Because a lot of times we think someone who's moderate may just not care. Moderation is not apathy. I just don't care. Now some people may disguise their apathy and say my apathy really is moderation. Apathy means you don't care. A moderate person cares the right kind of moderation because guess what the excess of, of uh, saying and doing and caring too much is saying and caring and doing nothing. Those are the two extremes. And apathy is the extreme of doing nothing. Don't mistake moderation for apathy. Moderation may sometimes be compromised, but not in the negative sense that sometimes we put it in. Well, I'm, you're, you're just compromising the Word of God. I've heard that lots of times in arguments. And sometimes compromise is the answer. And that's why I say this is, a, is an abstract principle it's not something I'm going to tell you this exact pair of pants is immoderate. Or you worked 13 hours and 12 minutes. That's immoderate. That's the black and white that we all like to think in, but that's not the answer. The answer is for us all to learn judgment based on biblical principles so that our life doesn't become excessive, either in too little or in too much. Some things that moderation is. It's knowing when to stop. Whatever you're doing sometimes. Sometimes it's knowing when good enough is good enough. For those of you that are perfectionist, and just one more minute or one more day or one more thing will make it all better. Here's the goal of what I want to accomplish this morning. For us to be able to make this statement, I want my influence to be as strong as possible in a way that draws others to the saving power of Jesus Christ. You know, that's the point of conducting our lives in a way that's, that's good to those that can see us. Our influence is extremely strong. Our influence is way stronger than the things that we say. What people observe in the way that we live has a tremendous power to draw them to what God can give them. Because by nature, none of us are moderate people. All of us are given to extremes. Now, as we've talked about with opinions, my extremes are a lot better than Mark's extremes. <laughs> and he thinks his are a lot better than David's extremes. But guess what? If we're all moderate, it works out a lot better. That's what God wants us to do to be. He wants us to be a moderate type of person. So we're going to look at three ways that we can do that. One, read the Bible. The Bible is full of concepts, teachings, 
principles that talk about living a moderate life. It defines what a moderate life is. Second is to look at ourselves, examine ourselves, not, not just wake up in the morning and do what we do and go to bed and do it over again the next day, but periodically actually look and see what's my life look like compared to the standard, the ruler, as we talked about a little bit ago, the standard that we can, can judge by the Bible. And third, we can learn from other people. Learning from others, we don't have to learn things the hard way every single time. You know, a lot of us say, and it is, experience is the best teacher, but it's not always the easiest teacher. And the more we can learn from other people by observing them, interacting with them, talking with them, the better we're going to be able to see what moderation is and learn what, what the benefits of moderation are, what, what's immoderate in my own life. I've used the example before, and I didn't, I didn't put a picture, talking about our blind spots. Titus at that time said, well, you need to put up a, a, a mirror that had the convex so that it makes things, you know, objects in the mirror closer than they appear. Now I'd have to go change it to a backup camera because nobody has a, <laughs> has a convex mirror. But... You know, there's things when we're driving a car we can't see behind us because it's out of our field of view. And many times, excess in our lives, well, might be good intentioned, maybe not even sinful at this point, we can't see it. And so it's, it's really important to have a method for doing that, and that's where other people can help us. And we'll talk about that a little bit. So as we read the Bible, we have to always remember obvious things. The Bible is the source of truth. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible tells us everything we need to know. It teaches us what a moderate life is. It talks in spiritual concepts, spiritual commands, but that has an effect on the way that we live our life physically. What the Bible says is that moderation is learned. Sometimes we have a tendency to say, that's just the way I am. <laughs> just the way I am. Take it or leave it. That's just the way I am. And there's not anything probably more anti-biblical than that statement or that mindset. Because if we were all just the way we were, what's the point of a Christian life? What's the point of a Savior dying for us? What's the point of him leaving his word so we can learn how to live closer to him? And so Peter talks about that. He says, but also for this very reason, give all diligence. Put a lot of effort. Not necessarily going to be easy because what's easy? Oh, that's just the way I am is easy, right? Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Christianity is continual growth. If we're not growing, we're backing up, and 
that's what Peter's getting across to us. At least one point I think he's making is that if we stop, then we're not going to be adding these things that we need to see. The things that show Christ's love in our lives. The way that he words it in verse 8, if we add these things, we'll avoid this negative consequence. We'll be barren and unfruitful if we don't add these things. You know, we all know the purpose of a cotton plant is not to grow big, bushy, green leaves and to grow six feet tall. That's wasted effort. Because ultimately what's important is the cotton bowl, right? They call it fruiting, and that's what, where the money's all made. All the money is made in the fruit because that's what's valuable. And all the things that a farmer does is to make the fruit produce more to be heavier, to be better quality, all the different things. And so as we look at our lives in this example, we're going to talk about fruit from several different verses here for a little bit. Our goal for everything that we do is to make our fruit as much as it can be and as high quality as it can be. And here's the way we become fruitful. One of those things in the context of our lesson this morning is self-control, moderation. Not living an excessive lifestyle. Because if we are, we're going to be unfruitful. Self-control, moderation, is something that comes from salvation. If we want to be saved, we've all been baptized, or a lot of us have. We've done the things to follow the first principles. Some of the things we need to add to our life are named here. We can't just stop and say it's good enough. We've got to continually grow. Moderation, like a lot of other fruit, can be observed. You don't, you don't go to, out to an apple tree and go, I wonder if there's any fruit on this tree. You can look at the tree, right? And you can see apples. Or a cherry tree, or name the fruit that you're looking for. And our lives are the same way. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 the Spirit, when it lives in us and is properly nourished and maintained, produces fruit, just like that cotton plant produces bowls. So the way to see is what we're doing spiritually, having the right effect, is to look at the fruit that's in our lives. And here's the fruit that we should be able to observe. On a personal basis... Here's the thoughts that we ought to know that we're having. Because that's the fruit of the Spirit living in us. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there's no law. Fruit's a product. If we don't, if those aren't the things that are filling our minds, we need to see what we're planting and we need to see how we're fertilizing, how we're tending to the spirit that's growing in us. Are we having the right kind of fruit? You can see those things. We can know that's what we're thinking about. If we're in turmoil all the time, if we're mad at people all the time, if we're continually impatient and stirred up, 
and aggravated and living all sorts of excess, then we need to examine our fruit and make the changes that we need to. And, and I kind of want to draw a parallel again back to the cotton plant. Think about these things, and, and I want to make a point. Reading the Bible is not a fruit. Reading the Bible is very important. That's how we know the source of truth. But reading the Bible is not a fruit. Praying is not a fruit. Going to church is not a fruit. Fellowships and Bible studies aren't fruits. In the analogy I'm trying to draw, they're the fertilizer for the fruit. The Spirit's growing in us, right? The fruit is, you jump back over there, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, gentleness, self-control. What reading the Bible does for me is it helps me produce those fruits in my life. What coming to church does is helps produce those fruits in my life. What fellowships with other people, with other Christians, they help produce those fruits in my life. They make the fruit grow and prosper and be good quality and be in abundance. So examine yourself. If you go to church or Bible studies or read the Bible and you come out with fruits that aren't love, joy, peace, long-suffering, look and see what you're watering. Examine yourself. How will you know if you're studying, worshiping, fellowshipping correctly? Or, as we might read in the Bible, for the better? Well, is the result of your activity in doing those things the fruit that we've just read about? That's what spiritual activity should do for us. They should produce fruit in our lives. They're all good things to do. I'm not trying to, to put a knock on any of those things. But when we do them, they need to produce the right kinds of fruit. Again, if we're not careful what we tell ourselves, that's just the way I am. Or even maybe worse than that, I come away from spiritual activities convinced that I'm right. And we all want to be right convinced in our mind. But what I've observed... You know, a year of, maybe four years of Donald Trump, and you can take or, or take or leave his politics, but he loved turmoil and controversy. And that turmoil and controversy of somehow proving I'm right and you're wrong, and I'm smart and you're dumb, that gets over into all of our daily mindsets if we're not careful. And that's not the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and gentleness, and goodness, and faith, and meekness and self-control. Those are the things that we want to feed in our lives. So, I mean, here's the simple, simple test. Are you barren? Means you didn't produce anything good, or are you fruitful? And, again, the temptation is for me to look over at somebody else and say, boy, they're really fruitful, or boy, they're really barren. <laughs> and, as always, the admonition is, let me look at myself. Do I feel love the majority of the time in my life, or am I irritated and mad? Do I experience joy? And I'm not talking about ha-ha happiness. The, the internal joy that comes from knowing you serve a loving God. The joy that comes from raising your family and knowing you're doing a good thing. All sorts of inner peace. Are you patient with people? Or 
is everybody just one more person that's in the way? And we can do things that say, oh, I'm showing kindness, but I'll ask you to even search deeper. Am I doing that because that's what I'm supposed to do? <laughs> because somebody's looking at me and is going to think I'm good or bad if I do or don't do that? Or am I motivated by the Spirit that's living in me to be kind, to be good, to be faithful, to be gentle, to show self-control, this reasonableness or moderation that we're talking about this morning? Those are the fruits that we want to encourage. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. That's how we know if all the things that we do, if they're taking the right effect, if they're having the right effect on our lives. So again, I ask you, look at yourself. Are you barren or are you fruitful? Is the right product coming out of your life or is the wrong product coming out? Moderation means this, balance in life. Sometimes balance can mean different things. This is the hard part. Balance can mean different things to different people, and that's okay. Sometimes we have to get to know each other so that we can understand there's a range of what balance is. There's a range of moderation. My definition of moderation may not match Lyle's, and that can be okay. But we can help each other find what the, the level of moderation is that Remember what our goal is. Our goal is that our influence will be as strong as it can be in influencing others to Christ. What moderation doesn't mean, we're not radical. I've heard these definitions or terms used on people. Even people that were, that were Christians that were trying to do the right thing, but they got so carried away that they were termed radical or extreme or carried away, indulgent, outrageous. Proverbs 30 has a good example of what, what I'm trying to get across with moderation and balance. Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. First part of that verse says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. So here's your two extremes. I'm so poor that I have nothing. Or on this side, I'm rich and I don't need anything. Two extremes. And here's why he says that. Lest in my riches I be full and deny thee and say, where is the Lord? I don't need God. Or, lest I be really poor and I start stealing and I take the name of God in vain. There's a long ways between stealing and denying God, right? In the middle. That's the balance that we need to try and find. And that's not just about the food that we eat. It's not about the, just about the clothes that we wear. Not just about the hobbies that we have. That's, that's a, a life principle about lots of things in life. We want to find the, the spot that gives our influence its power. So we talked about reading the Bible and learning from the Bible. We talked about examining ourselves. We'll spend a little bit of time about learning from others. Others can help us figure out what moderation is and help us live a moderate life. Sometimes those things are as simple as social norms. Just the way we do things around here. Uh, some people have a hard time with that. Again, it doesn't have to be the hard way. We don't have to learn that we're being extreme the hard way. Because a lot of times the inroad of living extreme for a long period of time gives us a lot of heartbreak at the end. You know, 
those of us that are older, we've been younger and done some crazy things. Maybe if not sinful, but at least extreme. We got off on a bandwagon that this was the greatest thing since sliced bread and made everybody else try to believe that as well. And here's why it's important to learn from others. Everyone recognizes extreme behavior except the one doing it. It's the nature of the beast. And so we've got to have close associates, people that we trust, that when they say that, they don't get mad. <laughs> or drag up lots of other things that can be, but where we can actually honestly try to help each other be better. I mean, that's the point of Christian association, or a big point of Christian association, is to help each other be better. We've had a lot of lessons about that. And sometimes it's straight-out sinful behavior that we can help each other with, but sometimes it's these things that are much more abstract. What's it mean to be moderate? How do I put biblical principles into effect and help us all to live a life that avoids these extremes that, that can be so damaging? I don't know if colloquialism is the right word to use or not, but I like sayings. My dad knew lots of sayings, and I, I like to use lots of sayings. Just things that you can say that prove or state a simple point. And here's a couple about living moderate. Don't major in the minors. You know, it's our nature sometimes to take these little bitty tiny things and put a lot of importance on it. The Bible says we strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. That's the principle we're talking about. But at the same time, you can't minor in the majors. You can't take the things that are really, really important and not give them their proper attention. Those are the two extremes to avoid. Don't make big deals out of little deals. But just as important, don't make little deals out of big deals. That's what moderation means. That's the reasonableness that I'm trying to get us to think about this morning. Learning from other godly people is crucial. Titus 2, verse 2, talks about several things. And you'll, what, what I find very interesting, if you go back and compare the fruits of the Spirit that we read in Galatians 5 with what we're older people are supposed to help teach younger people, you'll find a lot of the very same words. You'll find a lot of the very same principles. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Think about the types of things that are in that list. There are, a lot of them have very similar meanings to some of the fruits of the Spirit. And maybe it would have been better said, think of the things that aren't in the list. Because think of the things that aren't in the list. Do you see murder or stealing in the list? Those are pretty concrete principles. The Bible says don't murder and steal. There's not a lot that I can teach Matthew about not murdering. <laughs> it's pretty simple to understand. Does it talk about really, really hard things? That What's the role of the Spirit in salvation? Or what's the meaning of the rider or the white horse in the book of Revelation? Those aren't necessarily, particularly in that scripture, that's not what the older are to teach the younger. That's not what it is. 
It's things that require learning and judgment. The older people need to help the younger people learn, among other things, what moderation is, what love is, what it means to love your husband, what it means to live a controlled life. Now, might they be able to help you understand what the meaning of the rider of the white horse in the book of Revelation? Maybe they can. But what Titus is instructing the older people to do is to help younger people learn how to live a life that will help them be the right kind of influence, among other things. How to raise a good family. Things that the Bible is full of the truth, but there's not a lot of specific examples. And you don't have to learn everything the hard way. There's a lot of people that have learned a lot of things. So here's some things as, as older people. If you're going to help teach younger people, here's some things to keep in mind. Young people like it when you take an interest in them. Young people like that when older people notice them and talk to them. I think one of the biggest downfalls to what I'll call modern religion in the last 40 or 50 years is the separation of old and young into completely separate worlds. And the old people never talk to the young people, or vice versa. Young people love it when you take an interest. Old people, don't tell them what to do. <laughs> Sometimes we have a, a, a nature, I've been there and done that, and I realized that that wasn't a great thing to do, so just because I tell you, you ought to take it for what it's worth. If that's our attitude, we're going to be in trouble. People aren't going to learn from us. Old people, don't force your advice. Now, I'm not talking about parents and kids. You've got a little more arm-twisting to go than, than other older people with younger people. If people don't want your advice and won't listen to your advice, you can talk and talk and talk and talk, and it doesn't do any good. But at the same time, don't just assume they'll never listen and never say a word. That's the extreme of doing nothing. There's a happy medium. There's a balance of being able to have conversations and talk to people and help them learn. Help them develop the judgment so they don't have to learn it the hard way. Older people, don't leave the young people feeling stupid if they don't jump all over your advice. And I hear a chuckle or two, but I've watched it happen over and over and over. That I'm smarter than you, and if you don't do what I say, you're either not hearing me or you're just plain out dumb. And, and that's, not, that's not a positive interaction. That doesn't help us teach young people judgment. Even if I know 100% that it's right, me leaving that impression and having that attitude negates. It cancels out anything good that I might help someone learn. Because as soon as they see that attitude, it's over. That's self-protection. Have conversations, not sermons. We get lots of sermons. I'm in a safe spot up here. I can say, I won't say anything. I can say nearly anything, and nobody is going to stand up and dispute what I say. It's safe. Your job is to sit there and listen and weigh it and judge it. It's a one-sided interaction for the most part. The real benefit that older people and younger people can have together is having conversations. There's, there's plenty of sermons they have their place and they're great. But when we're helping younger people learn things, talking to them and having conversations and having a back and forth is the way that that's accomplished. That's the real power of building a relationship is having conversations. 
Older people, don't spend all your effort trying to prove that you're right. You might be right or you might not be right, but if that's where all your effort goes, the point may be lost. And finally, older people, don't forget you can learn some things from the younger people as well. Things are different than when we were kids. And they know things we don't know. When we have that mutual respect and love for each other, we can help each other. You know, the nature of older people, as life goes on, just the way it goes, as you get more and more alone and more and more set in your ways. And sometimes it's nice to have a younger person so you're not all alone and you're not all set in your ways. They can help ease that. Younger people. Older people like it when you take an interest in them. You know, they're not some untouchable person that just gives you candy. <laughs> they're not some untouchable person that doesn't love other people. You know, there's a lot of give and take. And, and sometimes it, we get in our mind that, oh, the elders, they're untouchable. They don't know, you know, they would never think this. or they would. People are people. The older people like it when the younger people take an interest. Have conversations with them. I'm not saying every conversation has to be deep and full of life's problems, but get to know the older people. When you do that, make sure you're listening. Most older people that I know are very reluctant to give their opinions or their advice to someone that doesn't ask for it. We've all probably done it at some point in time, but we've all regretted that we did it. Because unwanted advice just falls on deaf ears, and sometimes it causes other problems. So younger people, act like you, if you want it, you've got to want it, and you've got to come across that you want the advice. I'm not saying, oh, I want your advice on this necessarily, but your attitude has to be that, hey, I want to learn from you. Young people, don't spend all your time talking to people trying to defend and prove that you're right. I hear that a lot of times, that we have conversations with each other, and the majority of the conversation is trying to prove my way's right. <laughs> and when that happens, it, it ends up being a bad deal. More than just in this, but if we learn from each other and we really want to learn, we'll do a lot more listening than we will talking. Just a few observations about how people learn, how I've watched myself interact with people when I was young and when I was old, as I watch other people interact. Some people have a real knack for it. Some people avoid it like it's the plague. <laughs> and all of us have something to offer each other. And in teaching moderation, and as well as a lot of other things, it takes some effort. I want to relate, this is made up circumstances, a real life circumstance, but no real conversations, but a point or a story to kind of illustrate what I mean by having conversations and learning from each other, teaching judgment as opposed to telling somebody what to do. When I was getting ready to move away when I was 18, as most 18-year-olds, I thought I knew pretty much everything. And here's a sample conversation I had with somebody. A lot of the points are true. Plainview is the center of the church universe. <laughs> if you've been around very long, you've heard people say that before or, or make that point. And you can't serve God if you move away from here. Might have been true, uh, but that was the bulk of the conversation. It really wasn't a conversation. That was the bulk of the statement. And think about other conversations we have with people. Pretty much, sometimes I say what my opinion is. There's not a conversation to be had. You can take it or leave it. 
And let me give another approach and a way to approach conversations. Plainview Church has a strong foundation with a lot of support. Think about where you're moving in the short term and long term. Do they offer that to you and your family? Have you asked questions and gathered facts before you decided to move somewhere? Do you see the difference in the tone of those two things? Telling someone what to do may be helpful in the short term, but guess what I'm still doing? When I weigh different decisions, I'm thinking about what's the long-term effect of this and the short-term effect of this. Am I getting enough information so that I can make a good decision? In teaching young people judgment and problem-solving skills, for lack of a better word, we're preparing them to do the very same thing for a generation that will be around when we're long gone. And those two types of ways of dealing with things, that's, that's the, the, the point I'm trying to make is when we have a conversation with people and we teach them skills, that's the long-term benefit. That's how we teach moderation. Just, just saying, you know, maybe a short answer, this uh, pair of pants is too crazy to be wearing out in public, and you can say yes or no, that might be fine for, for me to ask Leslie. You know, she said this morning, that shirt, not this one because I didn't wear it, that shirt doesn't match. Don't wear it. That's bad judgment to wear that shirt. Uh, maybe a short answer is good on some things, but long term, what works when we teach biblical principles is to teach kids how to think. Teach them how to solve problems. Teach them that here's what it is in this case, but guess what? I need to ask those very same things when I'm taking a job in five years or when I'm picking out a spouse. And when we do that... Um, it helps us. We do have a warning in 2 Corinthians verse 10 about comparing ourselves to other people. So I want to issue that warning as well. For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, aren't wise. We have to learn from other people, watch their example, but we need to be careful and examine our motivation in comparing. And are we... Comparing ourselves to compete? Or are we comparing ourselves to, to learn a better way or get a good example? And so I think that's, that's one of the admonitions that the Bible gives us. Be careful. Just because somebody else does it doesn't mean I'm good or bad or otherwise. But they, people, we can learn from other people and use their example. So as we learn from the Bible and sum up here, biblical commands, they're there. We need to follow them. The Bible is full of them. They're full of, it's full of principles. It even gives us the principle of sometimes we have to figure it out. It's not just as clear-cut as we want it to be. Philippians 2 and 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I think that's part of what, what Paul means there. He didn't say go write your own plan of salvation when he says, when he says work out your own salvation. There are things we have to learn. There's things we have to work out. We need to figure it out by study and by example and by sometimes experience. We need to examine ourselves by looking at the fruit in our life. And maybe not just the outward things, but what's in our mind. Is it really the fruits of the Spirit? Are we extreme? If we ask our kids if we're extreme, what would they say to us? Sometimes out of the mouth of babes pops out things that you go, wow. <laughs> what do our close family members say about the way that we're living? Remember, 
our first example or our first uh, response sometimes is, oh, that's not me. Let's be careful about thinking it's not me because it can be. Because here's some of the things you might hear yourself say. I will never. My kids will never. You always. Think about these things. Does it always have to be your way on your schedule? Do you always have to get the last word in? Do I always have the most or the best of whatever I'm doing? All those are indicators that maybe you're tending towards being excessive. Prioritize your spiritual fruit, not your physical. We know the saying, beauty is skin deep, and we understand what that means. The inner person is what really matters. But what, in a bigger sense, that saying is, where are your priorities? Do physical things consume my time and my thoughts? Make sure where your pride and your identity is rooted. If your pride is in the things that you do, the things that you have, the way that you look, then you're going to be excessive. If your pride and your identity is rooted in Christ, then the fruit of that is going to be the fruits of the Spirit. You know, how many of us say, I'm a meat and potatoes, and be that becomes our reputation, that all we eat is meat and potatoes, or flip it around, and we've all met vegetarians, and the only thing they can talk about is how bad meat is. We've been on both sides of that probably at some point in our lives or seen it. In reality, it takes a mix of both to be healthy. And that's the concept and the principle I want us to think about. As we learn from others, sometimes it's just common sense. But remember, common sense is only common if you know it. And so as we add things to our lives, learning from other people makes it common sense to us. Build relationships with other and I'll say especially experienced Christians. When all you associate with is people like yourself, your same age, your same gender, your same financial status, pretty soon you can sit around in a circle and everything everybody says becomes the greatest thing since sliced bread and everybody else is, doesn't know what they're doing. Be careful about that. Be very careful because you get all that going on and it can cause other problems. Learning from each other is founded on respect. The Bible is full of be respectful to elders, but it's also be respectful to younger as well. And I didn't know where to throw this in, but kind of as we, as we get to our next to last slide, moderation in one area doesn't balance out the lack of moderation in another area. Sometimes we think we can be super moderate over here and be extreme in other parts of our lives. The effect is the same. Our influence, among other things, can be ruined because of, of one thing that's immoderate. And remember our goal as we finish up this morning. As you examine yourself, as, and when you're reading the Bible, you compare yourself to it. I think this is a worthy goal for lots of things. But is what you're doing making your influence as strong as possible in a way that draws others to the saving power of Jesus Christ? If it's doing that, you're probably on the right road. If it's not, please re-examine. Make sure this is what you're doing, because that's what we all want, right? Hopefully you've enjoyed the comments this morning. Hopefully they've been meaningful to you and you can use them. If there's anyone here this morning that would like the assistance of the church uh, through prayer or if someone needs to be baptized, please come while we stand and sing.